We've been in a series this Advent leading up to Christmas on the messianic titles of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. The prophet prophesies that it would be called by titles like Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Last week I did a monologue on Isaiah thinking about the word Emmanuel, which comes from that prophet. We conclude tonight with the title Prince of Peace, which is appropriate for Christmas Eve. Peace is the central word in the Christmas story. Peace on earth is on more Christmas cards than any other statement. It's a universal word. It's not limited to nation, to race, to religion. Everybody in the world can identify with the desire for peace, and maybe you come tonight with a greater desire for peace than you have in some Christmases. The war between Israel and Hamas has now claimed the lives of well beyond 20,000 people. The war between Russia and Ukraine, perhaps about to enter its third year in a few months, has claimed the lives of over half a million soldiers alone. Millions more in our world are affected by violence in Haiti, Pakistan, countries in Africa, the United States. That doesn't even account for the other ways. We might be dealing with conflict. Perhaps you've had a rupture in your family. Maybe something unnerving is happening in your workplace. Maybe in your church. Did you read in the Indy Star today the article about the United Methodist Church? I preached in a congregation near Charlotte back in October. I'd been an associate pastor there years ago. And they have gone through a terrible rupture with the decision to remain United Methodist. And there are people who have just said, if you're going to be totally open and accepting of lesbian and gay people, we cannot stay here anymore. 400 people left the church. It's been so hurtful for a lot of people in that congregation. They were just in a place of pain. Friends for decades who said, nope, nope, we can't stay anymore. Maybe you're going through something today that makes you feel like I could really use some peace. I just want to get to the end of this service, sing Silent Night, hold a candle up, and for just a few moments, just have all that stuff go away. I can relate. As a pastor, I can relate to having that desire sometimes for just, just an experience that for a little bit of time just makes all the roughness of life just sort of stand at bay for a few moments. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I also know is that that is not enough either. For one thing, that kind of peace just doesn't last. I've had incredible experiences in this room of peace, peace with God, peace with the congregation. All it takes is a few minutes later to get one text. Poof, my peace, it just evaporates. That's all it takes. When my peace is based on the conditions around me being peaceful, I don't really have a lot of peace in my life because so many conditions are just not that kind of calm tranquility. There's another reason I don't know that that idea of peace that means the absence of conflict is a, is a really good solution because I, I look at what it does to my faith. It makes my faith needy. I turn to my faith with this constant need to give me more and more and more of those moments that help me escape the world 
And before long, I have a faith that cannot tolerate challenge. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Those are hard words. And I believe what he's saying is part of faith means being willing to be challenged, being willing to enter into conflict. But maybe the biggest reason a temporary peace is not enough is because it doesn't fit the Christmas story. It's not the real Christmas story. We've tenderized the story. Mother Mary, sweet and mild, with a bed of straw, she lays her child. It's so wonderful and tender, and that's what we yearn for, but come on. It was a cattle stall. Jesus was probably born right next to a cow pile. Come on. You mothers, when you delivered your child, if you couldn't have been in a hospital or even in your own home, how would you have felt if it had to be in a barn next to manure? Stressful, that's what it was. And then you've got Herod in Jerusalem hearing the news that a baby king had been born in his empire in the village of Bethlehem, and he sends his soldiers to kill all the male babies under two years old. The birth of Jesus brought conflict. What do you do with that? What is the peace that Jesus brings? Well, let's go back to Isaiah. Prince of peace. Prince is a ruler. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. The Messiah is one who will who will create a rule of shalom. Shalom is a big word in the Bible. It means well-being. It means wholeness. It means completion. At the heart of the understanding of shalom is the idea of well-being in which people flourish. Flourishing is key to understanding shalom. And there's, a, there's an image that comes with shalom. It's the idea of a wall that has a rock or a brick missing. You know, when a wall gets old, it starts to crumble. You might have a block that falls out. The idea of shalom is filling that gap, repairing a breach, a gap, something broken, repairing that place. Now, with that understanding... Let's think about what the angels sang at Jesus' birth. They appeared to the shepherds and sang glory to God in the highest and peace among people whom God favors. Now that verse has been a tough one for scholars to get right. And it's mainly because of one word, a Greek word, eudokius. It, it means a lot of things. It means goodwill. Some translations say, peace on earth, goodwill to all. Another meaning is please. Some translations say, peace on earth to all with whom God is pleased. It also means favor, peace among those whom God favors. The trouble with that phrase is it sounds like you have to please God to have his peace, that it's conditional, that it's only for the ones who've maybe been good enough to deserve it. <laughs> it's like the story of a boy who went to Santa with his list, sat down on his lap, started reading, I want a bicycle and a sled and a chemical set and a cowboy suit 
a set of trains, a baseball glove, and roller skates. Santa said, that's quite a list. Let me pull out my book here and see if you've been a good little boy. The kid frowned. He said, don't, don't bother, Santa. I'll take the roller skates. <laughs> you ever felt that way with God? Have you ever felt with God? I know my life does not deserve everything I want and everything I need. In fact, I believe the reason I don't have more peace in my life the reason things are not going more like the way I want is because God doesn't favor me. That's got to be the reason. Remember, Jesus was born in a cattle stall. All our lives are messy in places. All our lives have parts of them that aren't so pretty maybe kind of stinky. That is not a reason to keep Jesus away. It's what draws Jesus to us. It's what attracts him because he came to be born in places like that to give his forgiveness, to give his love, to give his help and his encouragement and to draw alongside us to help us. So let me ask, is there any part in your life today where you're not flourishing? I'm not talking about the conditions around you, if your family would just get it together, if things would get cleaned up at your workplace. I'm talking about the conditions inside of you. Is there a place where you're not flourishing? That's what Jesus is interested in. That's where he wants to meet you. But there's another understanding of peace in this story. Go back to the verse again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to all whom God favors. Scholar said, well, there's another problem with that phrase. It, it also communicates this idea that God favors some people but not other people. That God is particular. Is that the way it works? And then they just struggle. What, what does this phrase mean? <laughs> what is being communicated? And then scholars began to look at the fact that it needs a comma. In the original Greek language, there's no punctuation marks, no comma, no periods. If you read the New Testament and you see a comma, that means somebody since it was first written down has put it there so that people who speak English might get a better idea of what's being communicated. And they said, this sentence needs, it needs a comma. And so many scholars say that the truest understanding of this verse looks like this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to humankind, comma, whom God favors. That's a different meaning, isn't it? What if we believe God already favors everybody, all people? God wants all people to flourish. Well, that means a lack of flourishing for any becomes a lack of peace for all. What if peace is found when we're willing to face conflict if it's going to help other people flourish? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon one time, when peace becomes obnoxious. 
It was in the aftermath of an event at the University of Alabama. A federal judge had ruled in the 1950s that the university could no longer deny admission to students based on race. So the first black student at the University of Alabama was a young woman named Authorine Lucy. And right after she came for her first day, there were riots on the campus. People threw things at her. And the next day, the trustees of the university dismissed her from the school out of what they said was concern for her safety. At the start of his sermon, Dr. King quoted the local newspaper headlines. Things are quiet in Tuscaloosa today. There is peace on the campus of the University of Alabama. King says, yes, there was peace on the campus, but it was a peace that came at a great price. Sometimes peace can mean the absence of conflict, but sometimes the absence of conflict just means we are ignoring responsibility. Sometimes the candles we light are in defiance of the darkness around us, not an escape from it. Look again at the words that describe Isaiah's vision. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Who is the prophet talking about? The people. It is the people who will beat the swords and the spears. It is the people desiring no more war. It is people seeing all of their brothers and sisters in humanity as their own family and desiring for all people to flourish. That's when peace comes. Let me close with a story about my being in Bethlehem many, many years ago on Christmas Eve. I was in my second year of seminary and I was a part of a team of seminary students of all denominations from around the country who spent Christmas break for one month studying with a biblical archaeologist in Israel. A few days we were coming back to Jerusalem from an archaeological site and we went through Bethlehem and we stopped for a little while to do some souvenir shopping. I had kind of piled up with this little group. One was from Iowa, others from Tennessee. We went into this shop and we met the owner. His name was Ahmad, a Palestinian Christian. We looked around. He got to know us. He learned we were seminary students. And then he asked, he said, you're, you're not going to be home for Christmas, are you? We said, no, we're, we've got a few more weeks here. He said, well, if you're in Bethlehem Christmas Eve, come to my shop. My mother makes chicken and rice. Have dinner with me and celebrate Christmas. We all looked at each other and went, right, right. This is the biggest marketing ploy I think we've ever heard. So we thanked him, went on our way. Christmas Eve came. That evening, we were looking forward to going to Bethlehem. We had these visions of this incredible, holy experience to be in the place where Jesus was born on this very night. But we learned very quickly, at least back during that time, not tonight. Bethlehem's very quiet tonight. But back then, Bethlehem resembled more like uh, New Orleans during Mardi Gras. It's just a massive party. We took a taxi. We got dropped off outside Nativity Square where a temporary wall had been erected 
limiting access to get into the square except through a security checkpoint. It was literally like a strip search. We went through the security checkpoint. We got into the squares. The, the, the holiness of the whole thing started to rub off on us. It's just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But once we were inside, we said, okay, look, we're here. Let's regroup. A stage had been built next to the church. There were international choirs singing. We found an outside cafe with a table to sit down, listen to the music. Okay, we're starting to get back into this Christmas spirit. Look at it. Can you believe this? We're in Bethlehem. It's Christmas Eve when all of a sudden a scuffle broke out between two Palestinian lads. And immediately soldiers surrounded them. And they began to beat them with the butts of the rifles until they weren't moving anymore on the ground. And then they dragged them off. We probably sat there for two minutes and didn't say a word as we heard a Canadian youth choir sing, all is calm, all is bright. One of us finally broke the silence and said, you know, you, you want to just go back? You guys ready to leave? We're all like, yeah, let's go. We got up, started heading toward the exit. And then one of the guys said, hey, whoa, 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 what about Ahmad? You think he really meant it? You know, the whole chicken and rice thing? We're like, well, we are here. Let's go see. So we left the noise in the crowds of Nativity Square. We wandered into the back alleys of Bethlehem, which now are just pitch dark, no streetlights. It's after hours, all the businesses are closed. We had a hard time finding a shop just to see, you know, where we didn't have phones back then, much less ones with flashlights. You know, it's pitch dark, can't find our way. We got to a shop, it's dark, knocked on the door, no answer, knocked again, no answer. We thought, <laughs> what a ploy. We were walking away when a light came on. We heard the latch unlock. He opened the door, he stepped out, he goes, My friends, where have you been? I've been waiting on you all evening. So we walk in the shop, he takes us into a back room, he pulls out these little like two foot tall stools, puts them in a circle, sit down, sit down. He disappears, he comes back with this vat of chicken and rice and he puts it right in the middle of the circle and he hands us all a spoon, dig in. And so we all just start eating out. I mean, I know it was not COVID protocol. We're just <laughs> eating out of this common pot of chicken and rice, it was delicious. And we started talking. Ahmad told us about his family, how he got to be in Bethlehem. He asked about ours. The one guy told him about the farm on Iowa he came from. Others talked about Tennessee. I talked about North Carolina. When we finished eating and he took the pot away, we looked at each other and said, well, we, we got to go buy something now. So we went back in the shop. We're looking around. And he came in and he had this just serious look on his face. My friends, what are you doing? We said, well, we, we, we want to buy some souvenirs. He said, please, come back in a few days. We'll do business. Not tonight. Not tonight. This is a holy night. Let's honor it. When I stepped out into that dark alley, I was just trying to put together what I had experienced in the whole night, what felt very unholy, unpeaceful was also this experience of something sacred that just happened. And then I realized 
somewhere really close to where I was standing, Jesus was born. And Bethlehem back then probably looked a lot like it did that night. Very crowded, very unholy, very unpeaceful. And yet that's the place where Jesus was born. Does your life feel messy tonight? Are there things in your life that just make you feel like, <laughs> I've got to get things straightened out first? No. Christ is ready to meet you tonight. Do you look at our world and just want to throw your hands up in the air because you feel like, what can I do about it? Well, you can start by believing that as absent as God appears, God is at work. And God is moving in all of these places of the world right now. And we should be in prayer because it is true. He is there. He is here. Let us pray. Thank you, gracious God, for coming among us, being among us. And you will be with us wherever we go and whatever we face. On this holy night, may we reclaim that you are a Savior who in all of the unrest of life comes in the midst of those very places and you give us a peace and something to hold on to. Even when the conditions around us don't change, you steady us, you love us, you meet us, and you give us a faith to believe that you are meeting others in their places in the world right now. In the name of the Christ child, born to be our hope, and born to be the hope of the world, we pray. Amen.